So this season, as we are in our series called Christmas Better, we are committed to helping you make this Christmas one of the best celebrations that you have had. And that is going to be one of the biggest challenges of the year so far, because there are so many limitations and so many restrictions and so many things that we are dealing with. And as I've been talking to people and asking people, what are the things that you are most concerned about? What are you feeling? What do you, th what do you think others are feeling? A lot of it has to do with just a sense of weariness, of dealing with the situations that we've been dealing with over the course of this year and coming into this season, which should be joyful and happy and light and getting together with others. And there are all of these roadblocks and restrictions and it just makes it challenging. And there's just this sense of weariness, weariness of dealing with all the things that we've dealt with, weariness with being concerned about all the things that we are concerned about. And in addition to just the things that are going on in our world right now, there's a lot of you who are probably dealing with stuff in your own world that doesn't have to do with what's going on in the larger world outside. It's not gonna show up in the evening news, but you are still dealing with issues and situations that are a drag on you and you're feeling it. And so we'd like to be able to come into this season with a sense of joy and lightness and excitement and instead, it's a lot more challenging and we feel like we're just kind of cross, barely crossing the finish line of this year. Uh, as I was talking to others and asking others about this, I ran across in my devotional time uh, an, an entry in the devotional Morning and Evening by C.H. Spurgeon. And it referenced this, um, this passage, it's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And it's talking about uh, that weariness that we can sometimes feel and how Jesus invited us in the midst of that to come to him. Here's what it says. It says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Doesn't that just kind of describe where, where we are sometimes, but we are weary and weighed down. And I will give you rest. And I highlighted that word rest. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to just rest, to set those burdens down? And that's what Jesus invites, come to me. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find, and there's that word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In that devotional entry, use this verse as kind of a jumping off point to say that the Father's desire, Jesus' desire, God's desire for us is that we would be with him. And so the invitation that he extends is, come to me. And that seems especially appropriate and fitting for this time of the year when we're celebrating Christ's advent, his coming into the world. And he is leaving heaven, coming into our world and giving us the gift of his 
presents. And so that's actually what we're going to be talking about today is the Christmas presents. Not presents, not the kind that you wrap and put under a tree, but the presence of God, God with us, Emmanuel, God coming in person of Jesus Christ and making his residence with us. He is present. Uh, this is what C.H. Spurgeon said in Morning and Evening. The cry of Christian religion is the gentle word, come. Jesus is the good shepherd going before his sheep, bidding them follow him and ever leading them onwards with that sweet, with the sweet word, come. That's the invitation that he has come into the world to be with us, to share his presence with us. And he invites us to come to him, to lay down our burdens, to unload our cares upon him, to have somebody alongside and with us. You know, as a pastor, I sometimes get called into a variety of different situations where people are struggling or suffering or in, uh, uh, in some form or fashion. And there's, I always feel this pressure on myself to say the right thing or to be able to say something, but really it's just my presence. It's just being with others. And that's not unique to me as a pastor. When you are going through something and difficult, sometimes you don't need people to say something. You just need people to be with you in the midst of it. And that's what Jesus is offering to us. And here is the Christmas presence that I want to give to you. It's the recognition that Jesus is with us, that that is the whole point of, the, of Christmas and the Christmas celebration. And beyond that, that since Jesus is with us, our situation is never hopeless. Our situation is never hopeless. We might have fears and concerns and worries and that we might face difficulties and trials. And at this point, there's a weariness. And when you get weary, you start feeling a little bit hopeless. You wonder if things are ever going to change, if things are ever going to get better, or if this is going to just continue and things are never going to change. But the message of Christmas, the symbolic uh, entering of uh, into our world, literally him, his entering into our world, reminds us that Jesus is with us and our situation therefore is never hopeless. So I want to look at a passage with you together that will help to uh, make this point. And this is definitely not a traditional Christmas passage, but I think that you'll be able to see the parallels and be able to follow along. We're not going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to roll back to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at is verses 1 through 29. 1 through 29. Now, it's a little bit longer passage, so I'm going to read part of it, and then we'll look at it, and then I'll read a little bit more. We'll tell the story of Daniel chapter 3, and you'll see that uh, God is present in the midst of whatever trials or difficulties you're facing, and he is with us, and he is able to do what needs to be done. So let's look at it together. This is Daniel chapter three. Starts out talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. 
let's set the situation so, so we know what's going on. This is in Old Testament times. The people of Israel had established a kingdom. They disobeyed God, and as a result, their kingdom fell. The conquering armies of Babylon had come in, come in and carried a lot of the people who lived in the land of Israel away into captivity and included in those people who were carried away into captivity in Babylon were Daniel and three of his friends who were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so this is their story in this foreign land. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the leader in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped with the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Uh, let's pray together as we begin to dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through this. <clears throat> in the midst of our situation, and I don't even know all the situations that people who are listening to me right now might be facing, but you do, Lord, and you know exactly what they need to hear. You know exactly the word of encouragement that they need. You know exactly how they need to be strengthened. And I pray, Lord, that you would do exactly that, that you would speak a word directly to their heart, that you would give strength and encouragement in every place that it's needed, and that as a result, that uh, your presence will be made manifest in their lives. They will know that you are with them and able to help them, willing to help them right there with them in the midst of it. And I pray that as a result of that, that your presence, your, uh, your spirit would be with people in a way that they have not known before, that they will recognize your presence at this time of the year, especially as we celebrate your coming into the world, that we will be able to sense and know your presence in our world today. We pray this in Jesus' name.
And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> let's look at this first part of this passage. And again, our bottom line is this, that since Jesus is with us, our situation is never hopeless. And in this situation, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a situation that is pretty dire because they're being told that they have to bow down and worship this idol, which they, of course, can't do as faithful followers of the Lord God. But it's helpful to recognize that they were, in fact, strangers and foreigners, foreigners and strangers in a hostile land. Sometimes just being aware of the situation can help to prepare you for the situation. That was their situation. They wouldn't have expected things to go smoothly. They would have expected opposition. They would have expected that the current of the culture would be uh, going against them. And we are in a similar situation. We, as followers of Jesus, with our allegiance to Jesus, with our citizenship in the kingdom of God, are in, are we are foreigners and strangers in a hostile land wherever we live in this world. In Daniel 3, 5, and 6, there is this command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, zither, I did not know what that was. I looked it up. It's actually, that word comes from a Greek word, which actually is the same word from which we get our word guitar. So when you see zither, think proto-guitar. Zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, when you hear that sound, you must bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. This was something that they could not do. It was demanding an allegiance and worship that they could not offer as faithful followers of the Lord God. And it wasn't without consequence. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So it's good for us to recognize that uh, sometimes when we encounter difficulty and trials and things don't go as they're expected to, it's because we are foreigners and strangers in a hostile world. And it's just good to recognize that and prepare for it. The Apostle Peter, writing to his congregation in 1 Peter, said, you shouldn't think it unusual or strange when you encounter fiery trials. I think it's interesting in light of this passage that he says fiery trials. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. You shouldn't think, oh, wow, this is odd. Things are difficult. No, this is what we expect in the world that we are in. But of course, the good news is that since Jesus is with us, his presence is among us, our situation is never hopeless. Because although we are foreigners and strangers and we do live in a hostile environment, our faith is in an eternal king of an eternal kingdom an eternal king of an eternal kingdom. And I kept that word faith there, but just so that you're clear what we're talking about, faith, belief, and trust are all the translations of the same word in the Greek New Testament. 
So you might think of our faith as putting our trust. What is our trust in? Is our trust in our bank account, in our political leaders, in our stable economic situation, in whatever? No, our faith, our trust, is that we have an eternal king of an eternal kingdom. So how did that play out in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life? Well, they refused. This was the report about them. They refused to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Because they had different, a different allegiance to an eternal king of an eternal kingdom, they acted differently and it was Notice, they didn't put their trust in the same things. They didn't worship the same things. They didn't value the same things. There was something different about them. And if our citizenship is anchored in the eternal kingdom of our eternal King, Jesus Christ, then we are going to make different kinds of value decisions. We are going to worship, assign value, give ultimate uh, allegiance to different things. So it was noticed. They refused to serve your gods and don't worship the gold statue you have set up. So they're called before the king, and this is where we pick up the story, beginning at verse 13. When, he, when Nebuchadnezzar has heard this report, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So here's what they say in the midst of this. Uh, they say, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. In other words, we, have, we are serving an eternal king with an eternal kingdom, and we can't shift that allegiance. We can't, go, we can't bow down to a lesser God. And in fact, we don't even have to defend our, ourselves. We don't have to finagle uh, anything. We don't have to adjust. We don't have to connive. We are going to just do the right thing and then entrust our defense to our God. And so they express their faith. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is able to save us. And in fact, they say he will rescue us from your power. Here was their confidence that whatever they faced, if they did the right thing, if they worshiped God, 
and did not bow down to the false gods, if they didn't adopt the, the, the worship of the culture, then God was strong enough that he was able to save them and they had the confidence that he would rescue them. And that's the faith that they express. And so, but they go on, but even if he doesn't, we believe that he's able, but even if he doesn't, we believe that he will, that he's for us and that he's going to intervene. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You see, in the midst of this hostile culture, in the midst of uh, a situation where they were foreigners and strangers in the land, they have decided they're going to keep their allegiance, keep their worship, uh, focused on the one true God and that they would not compromise in any way. Um, this will help us when we face the ups and downs of our life to recognize and to root and to anchor our lives in the eternal kingdom. One of the things that's been so wearying and so challenging over the course of this year is all of these ups and downs that we have faced. And if you're anchored to the daily ups and downs of the stock market or the news or political fortunes or your own fortunes, whatever the case may be, you're going to be in for a wild ride. But here's something that you can anchor your life in that is stable and secure and is going to last forever. You have an eternal king in Jesus Christ. You have an eternal kingdom in the kingdom of God that is going to la outlast everything and anything in this world. As I was browsing through Twitter this week, I ran across this word from a pastor, David Cassidy, and this is what he said, pastors are here to announce its eventual devise, demise and replacement with something that is already here and growing ever more powerful in this world every day, the kingdom of God. Now notice what he said there, pastors, but my job is to announce its eventual demise and replacement. What's he talking about there? He's talking about, you name it, political systems, countries, political leaders, whatever the case may be, there is going to be a time where every flag that has ever flown over this world is going to be folded up once and for all. And it will only be the banner of the kingdom of God that is going to last forever. So we talk about whatever is going on right now. It's eventually going to face its demise. It's eventually going to be replaced by what? by the kingdom of God. And if that sounds in any way kind of revolutionary to you or unfamiliar or a little bit scary, it shouldn't. This is just standard Christian doctrine throughout the ages. And in fact, in the contemporary, in the book of Daniel, just the previous chapter, there was a dream that talks about this very same thing. And Daniel interprets this dream. A statue shows up in the dream and it's made up of all these different parts of different, uh, uh, each part was made up of a different element and all of them represented different kingdoms that had come or would come. 
and eventually would be destroyed. And how are they destroyed? It says in Daniel 2.35, the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on the threshing floor. How did this happen? There was a rock that showed up and smashed that statue. Verse 35 continues, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. This is talking about all the kingdoms of the world represented by the statue and then the kingdom of God represented by the rock that becomes a mountain. Jesus picked up himself the same imagery when he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Here he's saying this thing that I'm starting by showing up, it starts out small, but eventually it's going to grow and people are going to be added to it and it's going to grow into this massive tree so that the seed that could have been eaten by a bird takes root flourishes, becomes a tree, and now the, the birds are going to take up residence. They're going to build their nest in the tree. So we, as the people of God, need to be looking at everything, all of our investments in this world, all of our allegiances, in light of the fact that we are foreigners and strangers, but we have an eternal king with an eternal kingdom. Again, this uh, is picked up in, Ma in Hebrews chapter 11, talking through the heroes of the faith. When it comes to Abraham, it said, Abraham lived there in the promised land by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. Here was Abraham who had been promised that this land would be given to him by God. But even in the midst of that promise and living in that land, he lived like a foreigner. He lived in tents, moving around from place to place. And interestingly enough, when Jesus came and lived among us in the Gospel of John, when it introduces the Gospel, it says that God, the Word of God, became flesh and took up residence, literally pitched his tent among us. Even when Jesus came into this world, he pitched his tent. He lived here as a foreigner and a stranger, and he leads a people that are foreigners and strangers in this world. Why? The author of Hebrews goes on to say, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And in summing up, all of these people who were living by faith, including Abraham, again in Hebrews, it continues, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this. I've, I've kind of beat this dead horse. But the whole idea is that if our hearts are anchored in and set on our eternal king and our eternal kingdom, his eternal kingdom that we get to participate in, then we are not going to put our faith, our trust, our hopes 
in lesser things that will always disappoint. They will always disappoint, but the one who puts their faith in Christ will never be disappointed. Here's how Jesus described it in John 18. He's talking to the uh, talking to Pilate as he is on trial and he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over, but my kingdom is not of this world. Do you get the picture? If your hopes and your dreams and everything that you hold on to is rooted in this world, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to lose it. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. But he nevertheless comes into our world, he's with us and he is with us and so our situation is never hopeless. Our situation is never hopeless. Our great king, our God, our king is great enough to save us. We sing a song, mighty to save. He is great enough to save us. So let's see what happened in the rest of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says <clears throat> that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, uh, officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no God who can rescue like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that they were foreigners and strangers in this land. They recognized that they were going to have hostile opposition 
they had to hold on to their, uh, to their faith and to their allegiance to their God because he was the eternal king of an eternal kingdom and they trusted that he was great enough to save us. So what do we see happening here? Uh, the, the narrator allows Nebuchadnezzar to tell us as he experiences it. He says, I see four men, there were three, but now they see four in the fire. They are unbound, walking around, and unharmed. So here in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a literal fiery furnace, fiery trial, the three men are in the fire, and yet a fourth one shows up. And his appearance, Nebuchadnezzar, is that uh, like a son of God. Four men. And also note this that they were tied up tightly by the strongest men in the army. They're thrown into the fire. Now they are not alone. They are not bound anymore. Their, their, uh, their bindings just must have loosened and fallen off. They were unable to move because they would have bound so tightly, but now they are walking around. And the people that threw them into the fire die from the heat of the fire, but they are in the midst of the fire and they are unharmed. And the fourth one, the one that is with them, looks like a god. The high, high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Here, They've gone through this ordeal. They are called out of it. And to me, this speaks to the restoring, restorative power of God. It says, not a hair of their heads was singed, their clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. They expressed their faith that they believed that God was able not only that he was able, but he was willing to help them through this trial and that they were going to. They were going to be faithful to him no matter what, but they believed he was able and believed that, they, that he would. And in fact, he did. He was a mighty God who was able to rescue and save. This was a very similar to mess, message bringing it back around to Christmas to what the angels announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They announced, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. And in the midst of this Christmas season, as you reflect on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you reflect on the fact that God has sent his son so that we will not be alone, that God is with us and that he is able to save, that he is there and therefore our situation is never hopeless, then we do not have to be afraid because this is good news that brings great joy to all people. The idea of joy has been an ongoing theme that I feel like the Lord has been bringing up in my life one of my favorite definitions of joy that I've run across is the confidence that all will be well. It's the confidence that all will be well. If you have confidence that all will be well, then you have joy, you have lightness, you have freedom. You have shifted your burdens from your shoulders to the Lord's shoulders. And this was the announcement of Jesus' birth. Good news, great joy for all people.
The angel goes on to describe the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He is our Savior. When you uh, say yes to Jesus, when you invite him into your life, when you become a part of his kingdom, then you are saying yes, you're recognizing that he is the Messiah. That is the Savior. He's the one who is going to, he's the anointed one of God to rescue us from our sins. That he did that on the cross when he took on the penalty and punishment for the, all of our sins on himself so that we could receive forgiveness and grace and go forward in freedom. The Savior is also the Lord. He is the God of all the universe. He is the ruling, reigning King. And so we give our allegiance to him. When we say yes to him, we are saying, you get to call the shots. We're going to obey you. We're going to follow you. You are the boss. You're the leader and master in our lives. And this was the good news that was proclaimed. He is a Savior. And since when we say yes to Jesus, he is with us, our situation is never hopeless. So this is a great time of the year. If you have never, you might be familiar with Jesus, you might have grown up in church, but has there ever been a time where you have said yes to him? Yes, I want what you did on the cross to count for me. Yes, I know that you are reigning and ruling in heaven, but now I'm going to bow my knee. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to commit my life to you. If you want Jesus with you, if you want to face every situation with the confidence that he is able and willing to save, then you need to commit your life to Jesus. He will take care of you when you belong to him. But that's not automatic. So I'm going to encourage you to say yes to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus. Uh, if you are following along on our church online platform, click that button that says raise hand to indicate that that's what you're doing. Anywhere you are, you can text YES to our number, 603-225-2550, and we'll be able to celebrate with you and encourage and equip you for your life with Christ. Because when Jesus is with us, our situation is never hopeless. Whatever you are facing right now, as you commit or have committed your life to Jesus, then you now belong to him. He is able and willing to save. He can pull you through whatever situation you are facing. And as a result, he can give you the strength and encouragement that you need. We started out by talking about how this is a time where people are weary and worn down and tired. And uh, our hopes have sometimes been dashed, our expectations. It's just not right, some of the things that we have to put up with or deal with or are facing. But it is possible to have the encouragement and hope and strength of a loving Heavenly Father it, it with you, within you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to give you this challenge. As you go through the next couple of weeks, as you enter into the new year, as you celebrate Christmas, if you have that sense of weariness, if you're getting anxious or frustrated or just tired, I want you to offer a prayer. We did a series earlier in this year called Dangerous Prayers. I'm gonna give you another dangerous prayer to pray. And this is the challenge. When you're weary, or you can fill in the blank, when you're frustrated, when you feel like giving up, when you're tired of dealing with the same thing over and over again, if your burdens are just weighing you down and they're more than you feel like you can 
carry, then pray and ask the Lord, why? Why? Why, why do I feel like that? Why am I dealing with that? And he will show you, and I believe that he will also redirect your attention, your focus, your faith on himself, the God who is loving and willing and able to help you. Jesus, who loved you so much that he died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Why am I feeling this way? And he'll show you if you need to redirect your faith, if you need to unload your burden, he will show you what to do in that situation. He will lift your burden. You will be able to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And you will, I believe, in the midst of this season, hear with a freshness and a newness the announcement of the angels that the Messiah, the Christ, has come and that this is good news of great joy for all people, including you. So say yes to Jesus. Unload your burdens. Come to him. Accept his invitation. Receive rest. And whenever you are weary and heavy laden, ask the Lord why that is. Turn that over to him. Allow him to redirect your faith and your hope towards him. Because he is an eternal God with an eternal kingdom who is willing and able to help you. When you say yes to Jesus, Jesus is with you and your situation is never hopeless. He's with us and it's never hopeless. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you that at Christmas time we are reminded that you did not leave us alone, but you showed up in our lives and that you showed up to help, to intervene, to rescue, to redeem, to save. I pray, Lord, in the midst of this situation, whatever these situations are that people are facing in our world or in their individual lives, that you will show them Give them the courage to just recognize and, and pray that prayer. Say, why am I feeling like this? And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them in the midst of that. Show them how to redirect their faith. Give them the comfort and encouragement that they need so that their faith is in you. And help them to respond in faith so that our lives are a reflection of the good news of great joy for all people. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. And before we go, I just want to give you that one last reminder that we want to be able to see you and we want to be able to celebrate with you and share your greetings. So as Kent mentioned, send your video greeting or photo to this email, kentrich at icloud.com. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the coming week. And uh, we're going to share your messages and your videos, your greetings with everyone because Christmas is being together. God is with us and we want to be together as much and as uh, in many ways as possible. So uh, have a great week and I'll see you again soon.